And welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here in the Nachum Siegel Network. As usual, I like to start the program by letting everybody know my social media handles because so much of what I talk about on the show, you can sort of study up before and after and interact with and find out more and see a lot of the sources that I post. So again, on Facebook, I'm just Jake Novak, Jake, N-O-V-A-K. You can find a couple of Facebook pages that I have. And on Twitter, which is really, really heavy with a lot of content, it's at Jake, Jake, NY. Jake two times and then NY, at Jake, Jake, NY. And you'll see a lot of the stuff that I'm working on. Um, boy, I, it's, it's really hard to talk about anything else these days, isn't it? But the, the, the national conversation about Israel and anti-Semitism and where the Democratic Party is going is just continues to dominate the headlines. And, um, you know, there's a lot of phony outrage in, in news and a lot of phony arguments going on. And you could make the argument that even this controversy, thankfully, isn't, at, le- at least at this point, costing lives or costing a lot of money. Um, sadly, it could. I mean, we could see anti-Semitic attacks rising based on this dialogue or this I would not say it's dialogue. I wish it were dialogue. It's more like grenade, verbal grenades getting thrown into the public square every single day. But thankfully, this is not one of those life and death kinds of issues. You want to see a life and death issue, you know, go to the border of Gaza and Israel or go to Venezuela, those kinds of things. So I want, to, I want to make it clear that I'm not trying to add fuel to the fire here and I'm coming in this with open eyes and a clear, and a clear mind. But that being said, it's still it's it's such an important issue for those of us in the Jewish community, and it's such an important issue, I think, for the American political discourse. And even if you're not all that interested one way or the other about Israel and and, and religious stuff in the United States, what's happening in the Democratic Party should be interesting to you because there is absolutely a movement within the party to move it somewhere else and to get and to change its power sources away from some of the leadership folks who are in Congress right now and, and maybe some of the leadership names running for president. So that, to me, makes it just really hard to pivot away from, and, and I don't really want to do that. Um, I want to talk about a couple of things that I'm seeing that everyone should be aware of and everyone should be able to respond to and have a little bit of education to back themselves up. Um, now, granted, the easy conversation, and I don't mean easy in that it's fun to have, I mean easy in that we know it's the headline, is that, look, Elon Omar, Congresswoman Elon Omar, has absolutely made anti-Semitic type statements. She has repeated, uh, you know, she's, if there's anything she is, it's not original, right? I mean, she's repeating the whole, the old fifth column argument that Pharaoh 4,000 years ago apparently used to enslave the Jews, that Haman used. I mean, it's an old, old argument. Um, and by the way, used in, the, in, in modern history as well, um, I, I think the best example, the saddest example, was the Dreyfus Affair in France, where Alfred Dreyfus, the captain in the French army, was framed. And the argument that as a Jew, he couldn't possibly be as loyal to France, and so that's why he was such a great suspect for, for spying for Germany, where there were so many Jews living at the time, uh, you know, made him a prime suspect. Of course, he was completely framed by somebody named Esterhazy, who actually had Arab uh, lineage uh, and was the, the real spy and had all kinds of personal issues. Apparently, he was having affairs with a bunch of different men in the German army, and that's why he was a spy. I mean, a real mess. And one of the stories that, by the way, you know, Jews are taught in Jewish day schools, and to some degree, I think, 
in some Hebrew schools that have a Hebrew high school program, they'll be taught about the Dreyfus affair, but they'll never be taught about what the real, you know, who the real suspect was and why. In other words, they'll learn that France scapegoated Dreyfus. They'll learn that thanks to, uh, thanks to the efforts of a number of, of, of French people who had, um, a, a decency, uh, that, that, that he was eventually freed and cleared, uh, and they'll learn that this was the revelation for people like Theodore Herzl that true Jewish pluralism and Jewish partnership in the political experiment of Europe would never really be achieved. All that's true. But I wonder how many people learn when they learn about the Dreyfus Affair that there really was someone who did it. <laughs> and it was covered up later on, you know, so they wouldn't have to have the whole thing going over again. And they just wanted to kind of put it, sweep it under the rug. But... You know, this guy, Estehazy, was the real culprit. And I do believe, um, to the credit of uh, Richard Dreyfus, who apparently is a distant relative of Alfred Dreyfus, Richard Dreyfus did a TV movie about 30 years ago. I want to say maybe 29 years ago, either 1990, maybe 1989. So we're talking about 30 years ago. He did a TV movie that appeared in HBO. And I don't know if it's available on Netflix or Amazon Fire Stick, but get it because that is one of the rare um, instances of a retelling of the, of the Dreyfus story where I believe he mentions the, the fact that Estehazy is the real culprit here. He was the real uh, uh, spy. This, so in other words, I, I think a lot of people learning about the Dreyfus affair believe that it was just a made-up story. There wasn't even any espionage. There was espionage. There was um, a, a traitorous um, turning over of documents to the Germans. But it was done by a man named Estehazy who helped in the framing of Alfred Dreyfus. Um, but anyway, that's just the, the you know a, a really famous instance of the dual loyalty slur that was used to to not only imprison an innocent man in Alfred Dreyfus, but really, really did spark uh, a long, uh, it re-sparked a, a, a history of, of anti-Semitism in Europe. Because leading up to the Dreyfus affair, there had been, thanks to, you know, for about 200 years, thanks to the work of Napoleon and thanks to the work of some of the German principalities, there had been great progress for the Jews in Europe. And people like Herzl, I guess, had rose-colored glasses about that. And then the Dreyfus affair woke him up. Um, so again, the easy thing to do is just to say that Ilan Omar has said anti-Semitic stuff, and it's just because it's easy doesn't mean it's correct. It isn't correct. It is correct. She has done this, and we could talk about that a lot. But what we're also hearing is another lie that keeps getting repeated to the point that I'm finding it almost laughable now. The other lie is, and you've heard it, uh, it's so politically incorrect to say anything about the Jews and, and Israel that we can't have an open and honest debate about U.S. support for Israel. Boo-hoo-hoo. Um, to those people who say that, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever met any Jews? Um, we're not exactly the type of people who are quiet and shy away from debate. I just had a debate with myself uh, five minutes ago, okay? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a joke. Jews love to have debates about Israel. In fact, we often end up debating amongst ourselves because a huge number of the loudest, even though they're a small percentage of this country, thank God, but a, few, but a, a good number of the loudest Israel critics in this country are Jews. So to say that we don't want to debate anybody about it is ridiculous because we'll debate ourselves. We'll debate the wall. We'll debate stuffed animals. We'll do it all the time. And Israel is certainly no exception. So what I have found, though, and this is something that happens all the time, it's not just with Israel and the Jews. I, I find this with white supremacists. I find this with other people who hide behind this politically correct thing. Uh, they'll often say, well, it's politically correct things, uh, uh, mores in this country are making it that I can't have this debate about X, Y, and Z. 
They'll say it's too politically correct to talk about vaccinations, so I can't ask a question about it. We, we, it's just not true. And I find that most of the people who want to have this debate about, say they want to have this debate about Israel, actually don't want to have this debate about Israel. They just want to be like Elon Omar and throw the verbal grenade out there, either on Twitter or in a soundbite or in something that someone catches on a, on a cell phone here and there. They just want to say the nasty thing about Israel or the Jews, or both, and, and then say, well, I would wish I, I, I'd be nicer and I'd have an open debate with someone about it, but, but, but it's, you know, I'm not being allowed, which is a joke. I'm sure Elon Omar's office has been deluged with calls from CNN and MSNBC and Fox asking her to come on and debate people. Uh, you know, come on. It, it's, it's, it's really, really sad uh, that, that, is not, that that's what's going on. There have been many books written you know, about offering to debate Israel. Uh, Alan Dershowitz's the, the Case for Israel is literally a debate about Israel <laughs> that he wrote. We, we love to have this debate. Um, a lot of us are very well versed in it, and, and, and some of us aren't. And I don't think that, sadly, I think a lot of people who don't really know all the facts are also willing to debate it. But the fact is, is that this argument that, the, that there's no open debate about it is really, really ludicrous. And I wish people would stop saying it. But the best way to answer that is to say, come and let's have the debate. If, but it has to be a real debate. It can't be this thing where you're, say, where you're yelling at me at Twitter and you get to say nasty things and then you – or you have, it, you have a big crowd around you and you're shouting me down. You want to have a debate? Let's have a moderated debate with someone who will just make sure that everyone keeps to their time and there isn't a, a hooting and hollering or violent crowd surrounding us and let's have a back and forth and the people can decide. The reason why people, these folks don't want to have the debate is, is many, manifold. I already said one reason. One is, of course, they just want to lob the verbal grenade and see if they can get the, the violence and the nastiness out there against the Jews in Israel. The second reason is they do not want to have the debate because we're going to win. Okay, In this country, it's about three to one support for Israel over support, for example, just the Palestinians. And by the way, there was a recent poll that Gallup came out with that had terrible wording. You've heard me say on this program before here on Novak Now on the Nachab Siegel Network that I do some polling work. And we work very, very hard on a question that doesn't lead the, lead the respondent. And there was a terrible wording in the question by the Gallup poll about who people sympathize more and with, you know, who, who, you know, do you sympathize more with the Israelis or the Palestinians? And I can think of a lot of people who support Israel really, really strongly who would say they, they sympathize with the Palestinians more, not because they, they think they're right in their ridiculous policies to basically destroy Israel if they can't get all of it, but they feel sorry for all the Palestinians who have suffered because their leaders have led them down this, this suicidal path. I mean, I don't have a lot of sympathy. I'm not crying my ass out for Israelis most of the time. Now, the victims of terror and the soldiers who have been killed and their family, yeah, I absolutely have sympathy for them, much more than I do for the Palestinians. But thank God, the Israeli people, for the most part, have a good life. So it's just my example of how, again, poll questions can be, can be you know, lousy. But even with that lousy wording, it's three to one. The American people support the Israeli cause, okay? So if we have that debate... And if someone who is somewhat capable presents the case for Israel, we're going to win. We're going to win in this country. And the, and the reasons why Israel is supported in this country, again, are manifold. They have a lot to do with the fact that Israel is a democracy. They have a lot to do with the fact that their opponents literally blow up their own children rather than take some form of autonomy or some two-state solution. I mean, it's amazing to me how many Jews who are critical of Israel like to talk about how it's terrible that Israel isn't offering the two-state solution. The only people who want the two-state solution are the Jews. The Arabs have never accepted it. It's just so silly. I mean, it's one of those things where I have found very often 
that Jewish people have a hard time, just like anybody, accepting some of the ugly facts out there. I, I am of a strong belief that one of the reasons why there are a decent number of liberal Jews who will not accept the truth about what Israel is facing and will not accept the truth about what America is facing from Islamist terror is because the truth is really hard to, to digest. And, you know, I, I do have a little bit of sympathy for people like this when it comes to that, because a lot of us live in sheltered, safe lives. Even those of us who live here in New York, especially if you're young and you don't remember the bad old days. And so to have to wake up every morning if you're an Israeli and understand that those people who you can literally see from, you know, from your house want to kill you and your children, that's rough. Now, you can choose to try to live with that, or you can choose to look at your fellow Israelis and say, you know, if you just were a little different, it's your fault. You know, and that's a little bit easier to take, maybe. And it's, the, it's basically a Stockholm Syndrome for an entire people, and I've seen that happen. But that aside, I think relatively competent persons supporting Israel in any kind of a debate, whether even if it's I – mean, social media is a tough place to have a debate because there are no rules, and people can just sort of say something nasty, and they can if – they're, if, they're, if you're lucky, they'll link to some, quote, evidence, but sometimes the evidence is bogus, and they'll just go on and on. I mean, you know, you got to have a moderated thing. But, but listen – I don't think anyone shies away from those kinds of debates either. Again, for those who say the supporters of Israel don't like to debate, I must ask you again, have you met any Jews? Have you really? Have you met any Jews? And by the way, I don't just say this to non-Jews. I'd like to say this to the, <laughs> this is a quick aside, but for the rabbis and the people and, 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 even, <laughs> and even God himself who thought that making Jews go without food for a day on Yom Kippur, it would make us more introspective and more humble and less complaining and less thinking about ourselves. I ask the same question. Have you met any Jews? Because you take the food away from us, and I think we get a little bit more cranky and a little bit more self-centered and a little bit more unable to be introspective. But that's just my joke, but it has a, has a strong kernel of truth in it, doesn't it? But anyway... Uh, this argument that you know that, that there's a politically correct, tab uh, politically correct taboo on having the debate about Israel is a lie, and it's just not true, and we should be ready to have it. Now, that said, I believe that even in the Jewish day school world community, so the Jews who are the most committed, mostly Orthodox, but also some conservative and Reformed Jews as well, there obviously are day schools in all three of the major divisions of Judaism. But obviously, even in the Orthodox community, I have found that Zionism education and history of the state of Israel education stinks. Now, granted, I am the product of a utopian situation on that matter, because I went to Yeshiva Flatbush, where we had a four-year Zionism curriculum, mostly put together by Rabbi Yotav Eliach, who is now the principal at Rambam Yeshiva in the Five Towns. But he put together what was the beginnings of his book that just came out, um, and you should get Yotav's book. But the point is, is that I, I, I came from a, a really great situation in that I had a four-year AP college-level Zionism-type course uh, at the high school level. And and while there are one or two, I mean, it's uh, – of the uh, classmates that I have out of the 200 or so classmates that you know who graduated from high school at Flatbush who aren't so supportive of Israel, at least they know what they're talking about. And, and and I see where they're coming from. I think a lot of them have – I think a lot of them. It's only really one or two. I think both of them have some personal issues with, with Israel and the religious Jewish community, and that's really the, the root cause of their problem with Israel. And that's something they need to deal with with their with, – you know, with a licensed professional. But the other 99.9% .9 are really, really supportive of Israel no matter how religious they are, no matter whether they're living in Israel or not, because we were educated about the facts and we're really ready to have a discussion about it. 
We're really ready to do that. I don't know if I can say that about kids in other schools. And we really need to do a better job of Zionism education in all the schools, including the, the, the Hebrew schools and the synagogues where the kids are coming only a couple times a week. And I know it's a pain in the butt for them. But the point is we have to do a better job. And I don't know if we're educating our, our children as well as we should be on this kind of stuff. And, and again, waiting until college is too late. Too late. We got to do this. We have to do a better job of this. And um, because the, the case for Israel needs to be made and we need to not be what they're accusing us of being, which is saying, oh, we can't talk about it. So I would love to see that happen. And I would love to see the, the debate happen. And, and, and again, the only people who are stopping the debate are the people who say they want to have it, but are being stopped having it. It's, it's just not true. They always back off. Uh, in fact, Elon Omar herself was challenged uh, by a guy named Mark Ginsburg, who's, who's a Democrat, who's a you know, former Clinton, you know, Clinton administration official. He was an ambassador to Morocco. He, he's offered to give $1,000 to charity uh, if Elon Omar will come, you know, to her favorite charity, if she'll come and debate him. There's no, no response. There's never going to be any response from these people. They don't want to have a debate. But getting back to Omar a little bit here, uh, Novak, now I want to talk about her goal so that we just, we have open eyes about what she's trying to do. Because I'm hearing, I'm hearing a lot of people saying divide and conquer. She wants to move on and maybe control the Democratic Party or at least have her wing control it. I don't believe any of that. I think she just wants to divide. I think she just wants to inc- increase animosity in this country. And if it's among Democrats, fine. If it's among Democrats and Republicans, fine. If it's among Jews and non-Jews, fine. I don't think she cares. And I have a couple of pieces of evidence for that. The first is, look who else she trashed last week. Barack Obama. Now, two, week, last week I had tweeted that the only person who could really shut down Elon Omar to a point where she would shut up is Barack Obama. If former President Barack Obama tweeted or said something publicly and said that, hey, you know, she's gone too far, love my fellow uh, African-American members of Congress and that kind of thing. He's, he was never a member of Congress or politicians, but she's gone too far. If he, if he had said that, that would have shut her down. But now he can't. Well, he can, but he won't have the same effect because she attacked him in an interview with Politico. And then she made the dumb move of claiming that Politico had misquoted her in her criticism of Barack Obama. And she put up the tape of, her, of a segment of the interview and everyone listened to the tape or who, who bothered to listen to the tape. And they were like, oh, they actually quoted you quite accurately. Um, I don't know if she had a staffer who decided to do that or if she was betting that most people wouldn't bother to listen to the audio, but they did. And the folks at Politico, who I think are incredibly liberal, I I love how they continue to market themselves as a middle-of-the-road publication. They're not. But, you know, their editor and one of the reporters, to their credit, put out the whole audio or something like that, and and they showed how she was not telling the truth. So she actually deleted her tweet claiming that she had been distorted. But she did attack Obama. And again, that to me is one big piece of evidence that she's just looking for division. It's not a question of like, hey, I want to help the progressive Democrats move ahead. She wants to throw bombs and stink bombs everywhere. And that to me was a big piece of evidence. And the other piece of evidence is we know she's being really supported by the Council of Arab American Relations, CARE, which we know is connected to Hamas. We know is connected to the Muslim Brotherhood. In some parts of the world, they are banned. Here in the United States, they're not. And they get a lot of their money from Qatar, which kind of comes from Iran. We know the whole deal with that. And Qatar, and these are the same people who basically like to publish stories about how bad America is all the time so that we can all fight and feel angry at each other. That's what they do. And of course, the biggest Qatari media investment in this country was Al Jazeera America, which thankfully has been shut down. Not because I don't want debate, but because they weren't interested in a debate, folks. They were interested in throwing stink bombs and grenades into the American discourse. 
And thankfully, they, they weren't successful because they just didn't get the viewership. But understand that this was a show, this was an, a network, Al Jazeera America, that had an anti-American show about racism on every single night. I used to call Al Jazeera America the Tokyo Rose Network. For those of you who are listening who are old enough to know who Tokyo Rose was, she was an American, uh, Japanese-American woman who sided with the Japanese during World War II, had a very Amer- U.S.-type accent, and she pirate radio broadcasted to American troops and sailors all over the world during World War II, talking about how bad America was and shouldn't we just give up and go back home and stop fighting, the whole thing. And that's really what Al Jazeera America was all about, too. Hey, let's remind America how racist and horrible it is, and yada, yada, yada. There was a guy who came on my show on I-24 News. As many of you know, I, I produced the Michelle McCory's Clear Cut program on I-24 News from 7 to 8.30 every night, and I urge you all to watch. And this guy came on the show and talked about how racism and bigotry is in the DNA of, of America. And, um, you know, he's half right. He's half right. Racism and bigotry is in the DNA of humanity. And I believe that America has done a really good job compared to all the other nations in the history of the world of trying to defeat that. And we've failed a lot of times. Obviously, slavery for the first 150 years of the, of the, you know, well, not of 150 years, but it was 1776 or so. So slavery for the first 90 years or so of the actual United States of America, or at least from the time of the Declaration of Independence, uh, yeah, that, that was a huge failure in, in our attempt to, to erase bigotry and DNA. And the Jim Crow laws were the same thing and all of that, okay? So surely uh, uh, no one is claiming that, that we've got this thing fixed. No one's claiming that. But the fact is, the fact is, we've done a really good job in this country compared to other nations that have official, officially um, recognized races and officially recognized religions. We don't have any of those things in this country, okay? So Al Jazeera America, like Ilan Omar, was all about dividing the country, making people feel bad about each other. So that the Arab nations that have no human rights, that have no pluralism, that have tremendous racism, that have slavery... Slavery is a big, big thing right now in the Arab world, in Iraq, and Libya, places like that, that have all these things, can end up basically having some cover. That's the point. And that's the point of all the criticism of Israel, because it comes from countries like Somalia, where Ilan Omar is from, where there are no human rights. And so, I mean, almost every Arab leader since the formation of the state of Israel has had to bash Israel for fear of anyone looking at them and saying, hey, Israel's got democracy and some semblance of human rights and actually a lot of human rights. Why don't we have, oh, wait a minute, Israel's really terrible. I mean, it, it, it's, it's this head fake game, look at them kind of thing. And it's always, you know, filled with lies. So it's really, really important to understand that Elon Omar's goal here is not to take over the Democratic Party, not to give more power to people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and not to give more Muslims more representation. She's not interested in any of that. She's interested in dividing and conquering and, excuse my language, taking a giant crap on the United States of America. That's what she wants to do. And some people have been pretty smart about it. They've noticed. They've said, hey, you were a refugee that the United States came and basically saved you and your family by taking you in, and this is how you pay us back? You know, again, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a psychiatrist, but, you know, when you deal with people who come from such a horrific, horrific culture and have horrific backgrounds, I very often think that 
dealing with that and waking up every morning with realizing that you grew up in a, in, in, in a country where, where, where women are treated in a certain way, where there is female genital mutilation, where there are no human rights, where a civil war knocked out half of the population, you can either deal with that horrific, horrific truth and really come to grips with it, which is very hard to do, or you can look at another country, including the United States, and just, you know, crap all over it, which is what she's doing. And she's winning in that sense, because the Democratic Party was unable to shut her down. They couldn't even name her by name. They couldn't even single out anti-Semitism in this resolution, which wasn't meant to do anything other than just kind of get, try to change the conversation. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. And Nancy Pelosi and, and all the people who are in the leadership of the Democratic Party are in real trouble over this, not because there's a huge Jewish vote out there. there and for those of you who follow me, uh, either in my columns or in, on, on, on Twitter, you'll know, there is no such thing as a Jewish vote for real in this country nationally. And in some individual states, when you're lucky enough to have an election, and by lucky enough, I mean just if you're in an election where the, you know, every vote really kind of counts, where, where, where states go by a couple thousand votes or so, yeah, you could argue maybe there's a Jewish vote. But since the Jews usually vote so strongly with the Democratic Party, it, it's, it's hard to make the argument that there is a Jewish vote. But there is Jewish support for the Democratic Party as far as the big fundraisers are concerned and as far as some of the big names in the party, leadership people I'm talking about here. So this is a, this is a disaster for them. Because it's going to, in, in my opinion, it's going to really, really weaken that support. I want to finish up with one more thing about something that happened to me over the weekend. Uh, Newsday decided to publish a cartoon. Matt Davies is the main editorial cartoonist for Newsday. Decided that this would be a good time on Friday to publish a cartoon that, and you can look at it, uh, I posted again, it's on my Twitter feed, where he shows that a lot of the, there's like, there's like a fire department, there's a fire truck that says anti-Semitism fire brigade, and they're looking to put out fires, and someone who has a sign on that says Israel critic, and the, the guy with the hose says, oh, false alarm. In other words, making the point that people who are critics of Israel aren't necessarily anti-Semites, and it's just really unfair for anyone who is criticizing Israel to be called an anti-Semite. Uh, theoretically, that is true. You can criticize Israel and not necessarily be an anti-Semite, although in practicality I find that to be extremely rare. 95% of the people who are vociferous Israel critics are also anti-Semites. But again, let's give, them a, let's give them a chance here and say theoretically that's true. Okay? The problem is the timing, folks. The timing, the timing, the timing. At a time where Elon Omar has made undeniably anti-Semitic comments. This is when Matt Davies and Newsday decide to remind everybody that it's okay to criticize Israel and not be called an anti-Semite? Does anybody in their right mind think that he would have drawn that cartoon or that Newsdays would have published it if it weren't for what's going on this week? Of course not. And again, it shows how low down on the list Jews are in the spectrum of bigotry. People who attack affirmative action, are there people in the news media who go around saying, oh, he's not necessarily racist, he's just attacking affirmative action, which again, theoretically true, but I never hear anybody in the news media defending that person. People who attack gay marriage. Are they defended by the Matt Davies of the world who go around and say, oh, it's okay to, you know, you, you can criticize gay marriage. It doesn't mean you're anti-gay. Okay, maybe that's true. I think it's true in a lot of cases, but nobody goes around and saying that. But for the Jews, we're willing to make an exception. Let's go around and make an exception and make sure that the Jews don't think that they have the right to stop someone from being anti-Semitic, anti-Israel. No Jew thinks, by the way. Okay? In reality. But... The timing was really important, and I, and I think there's an analogy here. This is like seeing your brother getting beaten up 
in the schoolyard. And instead of helping him stop getting beat up, you remind him at that moment, hey, you took the cookies out of my lunch. In other words, it's possible for you to love your brother and criticize him for taking your cookies out of your lunch. But is it really a good idea to tell him about that and publicly make a point of that while he's getting his butt kicked in the schoolyard? Because we're getting our butt kicked right now by the Elon Omars and her fellow anti-Semites. Okay? We absolutely are. And this just isn't the time to go around and making these dichotomies. Because again, she did, she, I don't think she said a thing one about the state of Israel, at least not now. So there has to be some clarity here. And again, check out my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY. You can follow it all and see what's going on. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now for this week. I hope you'll speak to me. I hope to speak to you again next week.